Welcome to Workforce Rx with Futuro Health, where future-focused leaders in education, workforce development, and healthcare explore new innovations and approaches. I'm your host, Vontone Quinlivan, CEO of Futuro Health. State Departments of Health play a huge role in America's healthcare system with the responsibility for community and public health, licensure, public policy, and much, much more. Given their critical function in the system, I'm happy today to welcome Paula Nicholson, the Director of the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services, so we can get a state-level view of the workforce issues and other challenges they are confronting. Paula assumed her current role in 2022 after spending 24 years at the agency focused on maternal child health, chronic disease prevention, and emergency preparedness, amongst many other issues. She also serves as the regional director for the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials with oversight of Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, and Nebraska. Wow. So we're looking forward to tapping into her broad knowledge of healthcare across the country. Thanks very much for joining us today, Paula. Thank you, Vaughn. Very happy to be here. So let's get started by having you help us understand the scope and span of agencies such as yours. How would you add to that brief description that I had made, Paula? Certainly. So ours has three authorities. Uh, we are the state health authority, we're the state health care regulatory authority, and we're the state aging authority. Public health authorities across the nation are organized differently. Some set within what we would typically call a super agency that might have the mental health authority, might have the Medicaid authority as well. We do have some environmental health components, but uh, also some of that rests in our Department of Natural Resources. And in Missouri, our mental health authority and our Medicaid authority are two separate agencies. So it's really incumbent upon us in Missouri to work very closely across Medicaid public health, and mental health. So you mentioned, frankly, a very wide breadth and depth of of authorities there. How do state agencies interrelate with the federal government? And what are the pain points of that relationship? Absolutely. So let me just speak a little bit to the, the ways in which we interface. So for instance, on the regulatory side, we basically serve as a subcontractor to CMS, Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, conducting surveys according to their guidelines on their behalf for hospitals, for long-term care, home health, hospice, laboratories. And so we are funded through CMS to do that work. A pain point in that respect uh, specifically is that uh, because CMS is in the federal budget, they've been operating under a continuing resolution. So we've not seen any increases in salaries for our staff or increased staff since 2015. So those are pain points in particular in that regard. On the public health side, uh, we typically work most closely with Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, Certainly a lot of our funding comes through them and our relationship with them is very much uh, a partnering relationship, certainly contractual with regard and sometimes a, a cooperative agreement with regard to the funding flow but very much a technical assistance relationship and a partnering relationship with CDC. From the aging perspective, uh, a lot of that funding comes through Medicaid, but is also guided by CMS. And so funding flows through CMS. So again, that uh, funding relationship, pain points being, you know, what happens with the federal budget, et cetera. 
So you mentioned uh, your own workforce pain point uh, tied to the fact that there had been no salary increases since 2015. Wow. So <laughs> you have your unique uh, workforce pains. And then tell us about the workforce shortages that are affecting the healthcare sector and how they impact Missouri and especially your rural communities. Sure. Like every other state, you know, you can't name a title in public health in healthcare or in behavioral health, in oral health, that isn't experienced a, sh a shortage. Uh, I do feel like we've been pretty proactive in Missouri to be intentional in the way that we're going about workforce development and to be very clear-eyed about it. Uh, when people speak with me about the future of workforce supply and how we're approaching it, now, I always am careful to say this is a long-term strategy. Uh, we're probably, I would estimate, at least 20 years before we really begin to bend the curve. Hopefully we can flatten it a little bit, but to really bend the curve. Because the, much of the workforce shortage that we uh, encounter, for instance, in nursing or in physician workforce, uh, are very long-term strategies. We're looking at issues with uh, nursing clinical faculty, with clinical faculty for physicians, with residencies for physicians, that take a very long time to impact um, the, the, the real trajectory there. But when I say that we have been, I believe, clear-eyed and intentional in our work, we began uh, probably, let me think now, it would have been late fall of 2021 with a, a very broad-based, probably three dozen or so organizations across the state coming together to talk about our issues in public health, healthcare behavioral health and oral health workforces. And that resulted in a, a 24 recommendations to the governor in July of 2022. We just last month published to him um, our progress report on those recommendations. I'm happy to say a number of them are well in implementation, but we were really, you know, early on, it was wanting to boil the ocean. You know, we knew we had shortages and everything and we felt, you know, that we needed to address everything and realize that, it, you know, our state legislature wasn't going to be able to uh, devote resources uh, in that regard. And we wanted to get really strategic about which positions and which titles might have long term impact in the immediate, which ones we wanted to address in the immediate. So, for instance, we were having difficulties with uh, long term care, having adequate certified nurses assistance. And that was impacting our hospitals being able to discharge in an appropriate time frame. So we put funding and resources into CNA training and resources. Uh, we knew that we had a long-term issue with nursing. And so we put some additional resources into uh, allowing our schools of nursing to say, what were their local and regional pain points? What did they need to do in order to change that? And our board of nursing puts out contracts to those schools of nursing. We also knew that uh, we, we're very fortunate in that we have seven medical schools in Missouri, which is really unusual for a state of our population. But we knew that um, of our roughly 1,100 medical students graduating, we only had residency slots for about two thirds of those. And so in order for us to get ahead of that, we needed to create additional residency slots. So we've begun that process. Uh, we uh, just recently closed out an application period for existing residency programs to increase their slots and are now in the process of looking at, at what a long-term state strategy is 
to assure that we're maximizing Medicare funding in that regard. That's just a, you know three examples. There are a number of other examples, but we're, we're trying to be very strategic in how we align not only with existing funding streams, but then also with like our Office of Workforce Development and those workforce strategies. Paula, I'm curious, what tips would you have, given your intentionality, uh, for other states and state agency leaders like yourselves? So we have taken advantage of every opportunity that we're aware of to educate ourselves. So examples of that, for instance, are working with the National Governors Association on a healthcare policy learning community in active discussion with other states about how they have worked together. Often I find other states, uh, their health authority or their mental health authority aren't really hooked in with the Office of Workforce Development and understand, you know, what levers they can help pull in that regard. Um, Another opportunity we took advantage of was some HHS leadership work with the uh, National Academy of State Health Policy, NASHPE. And there's a, have been planning with them for a forum coming up in just a couple of weeks with virtually all of the federal funders that feed into workforce and fund healthcare and uh, behavioral health. So I think being involved in those national level conversations to the extent that you can. Uh, Number two, taking advantage of every opportunity to talk with other states about what they're doing, how they've structured it. It may not be an exact fit for your state, but just learning from their uh, examples. And then thirdly, understanding within the state who all is involved in the work, because what we are finding within our state is virtually everybody has a workforce initiative. Let's make sure that we're not duplicating. Let's make sure that we're thinking, you know, cross-disciplinary, just to really be talking broadly uh, across everyone who's interested in the work. And are you finding that your higher education institutions are leaning into the work that you need and and as well are employers, for example, the providers leaning in with you? I think that's one of the advantages of being involved with our Office of Workforce Development. In Missouri, our higher education institutions and the Office of Workforce Development are in the same department. And so that allows us to enhance uh, those conversations. I do think sometimes there is a schism, you know, between what higher ed is moving toward and what employers need. And so I think it's really important. I I do think that as a state health authority, we have the opportunity to help bridge that conversation sometimes between the employers and between higher education. And so if you had a wish list for public policies that would enable the goals that uh, you have for workforce, what would they be? Tell us about the current policy landscape in Missouri relative to workforce shortages. And um, do you have any wishes in terms of policy changes? Yeah, I have a I have a long wish list. I'm not sure we have <laughs> I'm not sure we have that much time. But you know, I would really ask um, federal policymakers to re-examine existing programs and criteria for programs in light of the workforce that we are in. So, for instance, uh, I'm aware of a very dynamic physician in Missouri, a fairly new graduate who opened a small rural residency program and is working additionally as a physician in that hospital. And yet when she goes to apply for a loan, she takes a lesser loan amount because she is, quote, not a full-time physician. And that's just a disincentive to anything any of us want to do. So take a look at at those pieces. In that same vein, I, I would really encourage CMS to look at 
how GME, graduate medical education, is structured. I think that it's been a long time since we have looked at how caps are applied on existing residency programs and why does that occur? You know, because if you have a successful residency program, why would you cap them after I believe it's five years and that's all that they can ever get from a Medicare reimbursement? Why wouldn't we um, optimize those existing programs and offer them additional Medicare reimbursement? I think that the uh, cap on what we will pay for residents needs to be revisited. I think it probably has not kept up with inflation. So those sorts of things I would suggest. I also just think in general, initiatives like value-based payments. Uh, In visiting recently with a uh, primary care provider whose clinic is moving toward value-based payments, what this individual is finding that the intent to align with value-based payment and reimbursement isn't really changing how they practice within the clinic. Uh, this particular physician described it as a gentle rollout of value-based payment. This primary care provider indicates that they're receiving um, like a, a scorecard to show them where they are with their visits, and yet their daily practice doesn't change. They still have 15 minutes to see a patient. And so it, we really have to align intent and conceptual structure around uh, reimbursement with how practice occurs from a realistic and pragmatic perspective. And then I would say, speaking as a public health professional, perhaps my biggest wish is that we as a society begin to think differently about how we provide care. You know, in Missouri, we are advancing a model for public health. It's entitled Foundational Public Health Services. It's a national model. We Missouriized it a few years ago for ourselves. But in Missouri, we are, in the 24 years I've been here, we have either been the poorest per capita or the next poorest per capita state in how we fund public health. We're now at $7 per capita. We will never change our health indicators in a positive manner, nor will we get out of the escalating spiral of acute care costs and long-term care costs until we invest in public health and prevention. And I believe that's true across the nation. There are some states that, that invest at a rate that allows them to really uh, impact their indicators, but largely within the nation, we just are not investing in public health and prevention in a way that allows people to really get healthy and allows our healthcare systems to thrive. Well, we're going to get back into this uh, discussion of public health in a second. I wanted to ask you, You've talked about doctors. You've talked about nurses. Um, what about the allied health area? What are you facing in terms of allied health workforce issues? So we certainly do have those shortages as well, uh, certainly in uh, OTs, PTs, respiratory therapists. I will also just tell you a, a personal reflection. You were asking about how higher ed supports employers. I am supportive of lifelong learning. I think higher education is helpful. Um, But I also think that in this scenario, that sometimes the push toward PhD level therapists, for instance, doesn't necessarily help our employment situation and may indeed not drive uh, better patient care. So I, I would really encourage our academic organizations to think about that in relation to our current workforce as well. So going back to your wish of more emphasis on public health and prevention, 
What is the workforce that would be deployed to do that type of work? That's one of the issues is that we don't have a national workforce analysis of public health. Uh, In Missouri, we are contracting with the University of Missouri, Columbia to conduct a minimum data set similar to what HRSA's minimum data set work in the past has been around nursing and other healthcare entities. Nothing like that exists for public health. So we don't have comparable data, for instance, across uh, public health nurses, across epidemiologists, laboratorians, et cetera. So that's part of the workforce. But I also think part of the public health workforce is the evolving use of community health workers and how they will be paid, how they assist making connections and addressing social determinants of health. And then certainly other providers, uh, not so much in in public health, but in the healthcare arena, such as doulas. In Missouri, is there already a reimbursement process for the community health workers? There is not. Actually, just this morning, speaking with our Medicaid director, and the Medicaid agency certainly shares our interest in assuring that that is a reimbursable activity. Most of them are paid via grant uh, at this point. Our department has been active in training and certifying, so we know we have 400-ish trained and certified around the state. And I think once we crack the reimbursement uh, issue, that we'll be well-placed to deploy that workforce more uh, exuberantly. Talk to us about the data skills that have shifted in public health nowadays. Yeah, well, it, it is definitely an expanding landscape for it, for sure. I mean, COVID, I think those of us who have been in public health uh, saw it pretty clearly. COVID laid it bare for the public, you know, that we didn't have healthcare data, we didn't have public health data, um, A, that was even visible across uh, the public health system, and it certainly wasn't integrated with the healthcare data. So there's a lot of work occurring. CDC has a a pretty robust public health data strategy uh, that they are moving forward with, with milestones in the next uh, couple of years. Public health entities are looking at what is the relationship and what should the relationship be going forward with public health data, with the advent of uh, healthcare entities sharing data in under TEFCA beginning in December. Uh, so I think there is a uh, the next 10 years, we're going to see just an, a virtual explosion of what that looks like. From a public health perspective in Missouri, for instance, we literally were, were not even in the century with our infectious disease surveillance platform, our vital records platform. So we've been very intentional in using some of the funding that came in uh, through COVID to bring ourselves into the century in that regard with the purchase of a new and deployment of a new infectious disease surveillance platform and a new vital records platform that allows us to bring all vital records. We literally had, I think, like seven maybe systems uh, of vital records across the state and a, a variety of statutes that governed those particular years of vital records. So it really is going to be very advantageous for us going forward to have used that one-time funding in that regard. Mm, another intentional act. Congratulations on, on doing that hard work on the system side. Thank you, Vaughn. Um, Paula, we often read in the headlines about care facilities in rural areas shutting down from lack of workers. I'm wondering how the rural hospitals and how the rural providers are faring in Missouri. Uh, So I was looking at that data just recently. Uh, I think we in our hospital association recognize that about half of our hospitals, and I think we're right at 169 licensed 
hospitals in Missouri right now. About half of them are underwater. Most of those are our rural facilities. Uh, we have had a number of closures uh, in the past, you know, five years or so, and are really, like many states, beginning to see some pretty significant maternal health care deserts in particular. So I'm very pleased and very optimistic with a pilot of six rural hospitals overseen by our Medicaid authority. Our legislature funded the pilot beginning this past year to not pay those rural hospitals for sick care, but to pay them to address social determinants of health. And so we're really excited about that model because we think that's a more sustainable funding model for many of our rural hospitals, and then also helps us move that needle in Missouri toward prevention and public health. And if indeed it shows the outcomes as we hope and anticipate, then we'll begin to to bring on more. Uh, But we continue to have that conversation with Medicaid, with ourselves as a state health authority, with our hospital partners about what does rural health care look like going into the future. And I think it probably is very different than what it is now. Uh, We are worried that, you know, hospitals closing tends then to decrease the entire healthcare footprint, primary care, urgent care, et cetera, available in those communities. And we want to be proactive in, you know, designing what that looks like going forward. Paula, I've learned so much. Um, You've shared so many examples of what would be good practices, intentional practices, as well as policies that could be of help to the care of individuals within your state, but also could be across states. So uh, thank you for that. And I'd love to close by just asking you for your thoughts on the future of care. What do you see? You know, I'm definitely a glass half full type of individual. I do think that the future uh, is going to be a little rocky in in the coming years with the workforce issues that we have, uh, with the uh, reimbursement concerns. You know, I've heard individuals speculate about the number of hospitals that might close over the coming years. So I I do think it's going to take some pretty fierce advocacy. I do think it's going to take our society moving more toward a public health and a prevention mindset, uh, certainly as we see that growing aging population that typically requires more health care. But I think we're pretty smart people. I think that we can crack this nut together. And I think that the future uh, in the long run looks very optimistic. Well, there you have it. I know our audience has so appreciated your time, Paula. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Vaughn. I'm Vaughn Tone Quinlivan with Futuro Health. Thanks for checking out this episode of Workforce Rx. I hope you will join us again as we continue to explore how to create a future-focused workforce in America. 